HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. This episode of Cutting the Curd is brought to you by Comté Cheese Association. Comté, an iconic cheese from the Jura Mountains of France, favored by cheesemongers and cheese lovers all over the world. Find out more at comté-usa.com. That's c-o-m-t-e-usa.com. Hello, and welcome to Cutting the Curd. I'm your host, Jessica Kesselman, and I hope you're all doing well out there. Today, we are looking ahead through 2022. It seems like it's easier than ever to sell cheese and specialty items, but at the same time, it feels more challenging than ever. So how is that possible? There's more sales channels, more ways to advertise and communicate, more promotional platforms, more data. And today, my guest is going to help us kind of sort through the weeds and talk about how to succeed in this new landscape. I am so happy to welcome Felice Thorpe to Cutting the Curd. She is the principal of Felice Foods. Her role is as a consulting sales director for brands who need an outside perspective from an industry expert. She was the president of the California Artisan Cheese Guild, cheese judge and chairperson for Good Food Awards, a cheese specialist for Chef's Warehouse, and a sales director for cheese brands such as Point Reyes Farmstead, Marin French, and Laura Chanel. Her guidance includes go-to-market strategy, retail and food service distribution guidance, sales and broker hiring and management, and promotional management. So she is qualified. She focuses on creative problem solving and moving business with strategic ingenuity. So while some are focusing on this time as the great resignation, we can also look at this period as something we've dubbed the great reset. It's an opportunity to shift our thinking about traditional ways of doing business and defining roles for better results. We're zeroing in on four areas for our discussion that Felice and I think will really guide our work during the times we're in. So welcome to Cutting the Curd, Felice. Thanks, Jessica. So you have got a very rich and varied history of working in cheese. So why cheese? What, what <laughs> is it about this industry that you find so attractive? And you know, how did you get started here? Yeah, well, I grew up in California. I still live here. And I grew up on a farm in West Marin. So about an hour north of the Golden Gate Bridge. Um, 
we were totally off the grid. So no electricity, no toilet. I grew up with an outhouse. Um, we had goats, we had a cow, chickens, and really learned, you know, it was a very small family farm, but really learned pretty early where food came from. And, um, how to eat well and, you know, understand our food system. And so that was just ingrained in me from an early age. I never really thought of it as a potential career or job, but my first, one of my first jobs selling food was actually for an organic grain company that was based in the Central Valley of California. And we sourced grain for uh, many suppliers. And then after that worked with a great olive oil, California olive oil company. Um, so really have been working in food in general for a long time. Are, have you seen a lot of similarities in the industries between the grain and olive oil and dairy? Or is there anything unique about one over the other? The similarity is that California has a lot of agriculture. And so, um, you know, all of the, the domestic grain and California olive oil and dairy that I've worked with have been primarily from California. So that it's just a very rich state in that way. Um, and so my paths cross pretty early on with a lot of distributors. So I may have been in a different category, but I was certainly familiar with the distributor, how they worked in general. Um, the differences are, well, when I found dairy, the people that work in this industry, specifically cheese, are just outstanding, hardworking, lovely people. And I found that to be different than the two previous jobs. And that so then I was like, Oh, I found my tribe. That was like my aha moment when I found cheese. I, you know, as so many of us can agree, it's just a really special, a special group of people. For sure. And, you know, I when when uh, you and I were talking before this interview, um, we were talking about just like, you know, first of all, this business has just exploded over the last couple of decades. And, Every every year, I just find it so fascinating how much the um, artisan cheese world in the United States just just keeps taking itself to higher levels. And um, the last couple of years have given us so many new opportunities. And and I, you know, it's like you never know if you're ready for something until you have to step off the the plank. You know, uh-huh. <laughs> like, and um, and so you know. So I guess, you know, looking at this conversation with all of your experience, um, and it's funny that you mentioned olive oil because California olive oil also kind of had its maturity, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, now it's something yep. that I see it on every supermarket olive oil shelf. You see your California olive oil and and more than one brand too. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, so given given all of this growth and your experience, one of the things you and I first zeroed in on was just how many new channels there are mm-hmm. to do business. And um, I was hoping that we could maybe start off from there. I said in the intro that it seems easier than ever to sell cheese. And what I meant by that is that there are just so many more sales channels now. Um, can you define what some of these are? And Yeah. Yeah. So the buzzword for, you know, these past two years is omni-channel. And that has been 
really highlighted because so many cheesemakers had put all of their eggs in one basket, so to speak, with food service. And that came crashing down um, and has thankfully come back, you know, booming back. And I think we're we're all good um, in that channel. But it was very eye-opening and it really opened up the conversation to other opportunities. So just to, to kind of walk briefly through some of the more popular channels, um, a lot of cheesemakers start with farmers markets. And I always like to highlight that because, you know, a lot of entrepreneurs, this is their first step into sales. And it's an important one. It has been really important these past couple of years because so many retailers shut down their demo programs and farmers markets have been able to really step in with the sampling opportunities. So it's great for brand awareness as well. I mean, there's a lot of cheesemakers that continue to sell at the farmers markets and sell at large national conventional retailers. So I always like to include that in my channel opportunities. The next one that has really been sort of booming again these past couple of years is direct to consumer. Um, so they, this is buying product right off of a cheesemaker's website. Um, and there are some great brands that are doing that. Um, the margin is great for direct-to-consumer generally. Um, shipping costs are high because mostly it's an overnight ship, so that's something to keep in mind who's paying for the shipping. <clears throat> and scaling can be hard because it's a big you know, time labor consumption to have that managing that in-house. So if you don't want to manage it in-house potentially, you can work in e-commerce, and that's another channel. Um, e-commerce... Uh, definitely performs better if you don't have a perishable product. So dry grocery, I think the best selling e-commerce product on Amazon is like toilet paper or paper towels or something like that. Right, right. Um, so, you know, that's something to think about. Um, short shelf life is challenging. Amazon is a popular one. Fair is another one. Um, Pod Foods is a food e-commerce site. Meet Mabel is a food e-commerce site. So a lot of these are just new, you know, one year, two years old. Um, then we have a retail channel, which is probably the, um, the best, you know, way to grow your product and have a big kind of volume impact currently. And, but it requires great sales collateral. It requires an understanding of promotions, merchandising, certainly logistics. Yeah. Um, but it, it had a nice little bump during um, COVID. And I think we're going to continue to see that because consumers are, have become more familiar with um, specialty cheese products at retail. And then food service, last but not least, has come back with a vengeance and it seems to be doing great. And this requires a different pack size. Typically, maybe the cost of goods calculations are different, but the volume is great and the branding can be great. So if you get um, on the menu of, you know, if your feta is on a salad at a restaurant and the restaurant calls out the name of that feta, consumers will go to the marketplace and look for that brand. So there's also not just a volume opportunity, but a branding opportunity as well. I noticed too, there is some overlap in some of these, like um, you mentioned fair.com and Amazon. Uh, I know a lot of retailers 
have discovered them as distribution sources too. Like they will go on, you know, these, they will use um, some of these other channels to stock their shelves, particularly yeah. during, during COVID when, and even right now when logistics can be a real challenge um, and they have to kind of look outside their normal, their normal uh, avenues to get product. Yeah, there's been a real disruption in distribution in general. I mean, including, you know, our supply chain issues um, have been hugely disrupted internationally. So one of the interesting disruptions is all of these sort of local um, distributor options. And I think that there's, you know, some will rise to the top, some won't make it, but I definitely think it's worth exploring. So you started off with uh, calling out farmers markets. And I, I find that so interesting too, because a lot of cheese companies are still really small mm -hmm. and their markets are still really local. So, um, you know, I think sometimes in my experience in sales, sometimes companies will overshoot the local, they'll jump right into something bigger and miss that, that you know, first channel that you called out. Yeah, I mean, I'm a big believer in going deep before you go wide in, dis in any kind of distribution. So going deep means really connecting with your local consumer and the farmer's market is a great place to do that. Um, so I, I'm, I feel pretty strongly about that. I'm, you know, I, I volunteer with our locals far, local farmer's market. I, you know, you know, worked with the farmer's market growing up. Um, and I understand the kind of impact it can have on a local food system. And I also, you know, the federal administration has just given some pretty fabulous grants to different farmers markets across the country to help them to help their um, makers use technology and marketing in a new way. And this is possibly a way to help with our supply chain disruption, which I know, you know, we just touched upon, but it's really, it's, it's, if you think about California, we have 50 million people in California, right? So you could, you could sell your product at a, you know, busy farmer's market, and it could be a sustainable business. Right. Yeah, that's very true. And um, for those of us that unfortunately don't get to live close to a lot of farms, mm -hmm. often the, the co-ops become, you know, they fill a need of like sourcing local and regional and connecting, you know, their customers with uh, producers in a way that a farmer's market would. So mm -hmm. I almost would say, especially in urban areas, a co-op is a really great place for yeah, that. Yeah, uh, absolutely. Um, and then also, I know we have um, some CSAs in the tri-state area that are almost like, um, you know, they're like, uh, they're not like your standard, you get a box and it's whatever's in season or needs to be harvested, but actually more of an order online from a farmer who's connected with regional producers, and then they will drive it down to a distribution point. And that's how I have been able to get a lot of cheeses from uh, Washington County in New York and Vermont, because a farmer I work with directly in Vermont is sourcing those cheeses and then makes them available to uh, the customers who buy, um, you know, pork and beef and chicken from him. So 
yeah, there's a lot of, there's a lot, a lot to um, capture if you cast your net wide enough. Mm -hmm. So um, this kind of leads right into our next, uh, the next focus area you and I discovered in our conversation before this interview, which is the importance of integrating your marketing and your sales, because it's a whole new world out there. And, um, and, and more and more we're seeing that a sales role now means understanding the way that sales and marketing intersect. You can't just be hitting the pavement mm -hmm. anymore. Yeah. Yeah. So social media is now sales, right? That's what I've you know, taken essentially a crash course in social media these past several years, because I'm realizing I really need to figure this out um, in a new way that in the past marketing departments have handled, but really the sales team needs to handle it as well. And interestingly, the first steps of a sales funnel, if you look at sort of your traditional sales funnel, it, the first steps are marketing. So the sales funnel would be very starting at the very top would be awareness. Um, and this is totally a marketing activity. Examples include social media and trade shows. And then the next step of the sales funnel is interest. So that includes credible and reliable messaging. For example, if your product is organic or, you know, you've won an award, that would be some kind of messaging you would have on the packaging. Again, that is a marketing generally a marketing function. Um, consideration is the next step. And this is often where, say, a buyer or a consumer will taste the product, look at the packaging, you know, does it look nice? Does it taste nice? Does it smell nice using all your senses? Um, so consideration is kind of where sales and marketing meet. And then the last step of the sales funnel is mostly a sales function. This is when sales does the heavy lifting and this is conversion. Um, yeah. So that's when a prospect becomes a customer. So actually, like I said, the sales funnel, a good portion of it is marketing. It's funny because all of that goes into your sales pitch. Totally. Yeah. <laughs> so you have to know, you have to like be really, really friendly and familiar with your marketing team. And if you're a one man show, you know, be familiar with marketing in general, because it's super important right now. And then, you know, we touched about, uh, we touched on in the new sales channels uh, topic, the digital role in sales and um, and the digital ways of selling and promoting. So mm -hmm. what are some of the things to consider regarding, you know, retail promotions, um, doing your, you know, business as usual with some of these larger customers that now have all these digital platforms? What are ways to take advantage of that? So the big hero the past two years has been the QR code. And as we know, restaurants have been using this well, but brands are also rediscovering this and putting it on their packaging and their marketing materials. And I'm actually working with a couple of clients that are going to be at the fancy food show and are including a QR code so that people can just, you know, walk by and scan the code and uh, download the sell sheet right there on their phone. So Using technology in new ways and leveraging that in new ways, we're all just kind of learning as we go. Um, but there are, oh, there's some great digital couponing sites as well. So paper coupons, I think, are being definitely phased out. Uh, Checkout 51 is a good 
digital couponing site and Chicory. I don't know if you've heard of those, but Chicory is a good digital couponing site. Um, there's also another interesting platform I'm looking into currently called Pickle, P-I-C-K-L. And what this is, it's actually influencer marketing. But what they do is you send the um, customer a coupon for a free product. They go to the store. They buy the product, they take a picture, they check the stock, they make notes on competitors, they post and tag you on social media. And this is all just for the cost of a free product. So you're kind of getting this social media marketing slash merchandising slash broker model that's wow. really disruptive and interesting. Um, I spoke to the folks at Pickle and I really think what they're doing is interesting. Um, they're kind of like a guerrilla merchandising social media team. So I think yeah. there's going to be a lot of new digital businesses like that. That's like a really great source for organic in the moment data too. Totally. I mean, that, yes. that, is, that, <laughs> that is really wild. Um, and then, you know, the, what you were saying about this movement away from paper coupons, you know, I'm still waiting to see the disappearance of the store circulars. I think there may be, a little bit of a generation gap. Um, a lot of older shoppers don't use their phones and store apps as much. So they are still relying on um, paper circulars or uh, store emails. Um, mm -hmm. But I do think they are moving away. And I know what's what I've noticed in sales, what's nice is the cost to the uh, vendor um, is minimal if it's a digital ad versus a paper ad. Um, that's only in, in some of the experiences that I've had where the, the um, buyer can say, oh, yeah, we, we, we can put that, we can create a digital ad and, and it won't require the same amount of um, cost or investment or um, legwork on, on the vendor's part. Um, but you got to be ready with your photos. You have yeah. to, you know. Yeah. Again, it goes back to marketing, right? So yeah. Um, yeah, getting HEB does a really good job with their um, digital coupons and digital ads, and um, they they have a great app for their consumers that um, they've really done a great job with that. So there's some retailers that do a better job than others, yeah. but um, I think that's definitely the future. Yeah, and I think I think on that point, uh, not to say that everybody is doing this at a lower price, because I think what's happening is too is that. Retailers are are bundling marketing plans to include their retail their uh, digital platforms, and those do come with a cost sometimes, you know, to participate in. But sure. um, but you know, I as a shopper, I'm trying to use the apps more. I feel like I'm missing out. Like I need to go to the customer service desk and be like, "Can you tell me what the advantage is of me using the app when I'm in the store?" <laughs> like I can't. I think it's just like an untapped. Um, uh, resource for shoppers and vendors. Um, you know, we're only at the tip of the iceberg of what, of, of how to util utilize this. Um, so yeah, it's pretty vast. Um, mm -hmm. all right. So I'm going to say this is a great time in our interview to pause for a word from our sponsor and we'll see you right back here at cutting the curd in just a moment.
This episode of Cutting the Curd is brought to you by Conte Cheese Association. Conte Cheese Association represents the Conte PDO, Conte Protected Designation of Origin in the USA. Conte is a raw milk cooked pressed cheese from the Jura Mountains of France. There, every day, 2,500 family farms deliver milk to over 150 local cheesemaking facilities, or fruitiers. This milk must be transformed into Conté within 24 hours of milking to preserve the lactic microflora in the milk, ensuring the cheese's aromatic potential. About 105 gallons of milk are required to craft a single wheel of Conté. Conté takes time to acquire its flavors in the affinage cellars. After eight months of aging by dedicated affineurs on average, each wheel of Conté is graded and shipped to market. No wheel of Conté is the same. Its flavors speak to the pastures where the cows grazed, the season in which it was made, the particular craftsmanship of the cheesemaker, and the time spent in the aging cellar. Therefore, every wheel of Conté is unique. Learn more about Conté, an iconic cheese from the Jura Mountains of France, favored by cheesemongers and cheese lovers all over the world. Find out more at Conté-USA.com. That's C-O-M-T-E hyphen U-S-A dot com. And we're back with Elise Thorpe of Elise Foods. We are talking about 2022 and new ways of thinking about sales and marketing is where we were uh, just focusing. I did want to ask you one thing about... um, you know, again, thinking about artisanal cheese in the United States, um, which vary from very small to much larger scale uh, brands now. Um, so when we're talking about all this digital marketing and such, uh, is this just for the big markets? Um, if your sales channels are small, is this is this a big issue for you? Well, certainly social media should be a big issue, or at least something that you're curious about and <laughs> investing some time in. Um, you know, it's great for exposure, but 11%, let's take Instagram, for example, which is probably the most popular social media platform for food. Um, 11% of people that are on Instagram purchase products. So if you put a shopping option on your Instagram business site and and you link to your website, you have a good chance of people actually purchasing product from, you know, starting off on Instagram and then moving to your website to purchase products. So any size business can do that. I mean, you can be a teeny tiny business and do that. So it's definitely something to think about. And then I also was curious about um, when and why a company would want to consider working with brokers. Like it's becoming a bigger and bigger part of um, business. Mm-hmm. And um, how do you know when it's time to enlist the help of a broker? That's a great question. And brokers have been, I mean, I'm a huge fan of brokers. I love working with brokers. Um, they obviously manage a lot of account paperwork. <laughs> and when I say paperwork, I you know, obviously don't mean paper. It's all you know, digital paperwork, so to speak. Um, and, and that's become really time intensive more recently because of also the marketing components that are 
involved with selling products. So, you know, uploading images and descriptions and, you know, managing all the trade terms and promotions and all of that. So that's not really selling, but it's an essential part of the sales process. Um, They also make sure product is on the shelf. So you can have a broker or if you want to dial it down or step it down one notch, a merchandising company or merchandising team do that. They also, brokers also manage calendar reviews, which change yearly. There's not, you know, there isn't, I wish that it was the same same time of year every year for every retailer, but it's not. So they do a really good job managing that. And they help with presentations and education. So it's kind of like a, you know, with this labor shortage right now, or labor issues that everybody has been having, the broker team is a great way to fill in with for your sales and marketing team. So I'm going to make the leap here away from people and um, ask you about, you know, data, the importance of data. In particular, you and I were talking about velocity and that um that data set and what kind of importance it it can play um so what is the importance of data and can you tell us a little bit about why you and i feel so strongly about velocity we love velocity <laughs> velocity is a fundamental metric it is the speed in which your product sells at a given store so typically it's measured in units per store and often velocity is what buyers are looking at during category review times so uh So as a strategy, if you are going to do a demo campaign, do it several months before your category review, because you'll get a little bump in your velocity. Um, And, you know, that's a good way to kind of, uh, it's an honest bump, but it's also a good way to kind of lift that number a little bit. So I always try to schedule demos um, a month before a category review time um, or do some kind of promotion like coupons or something. Um, So velocity, if you combine velocity and distribution, you get sales. And there are other data sets that you can look at. Um, I am not a fan of store count. I think that that is sort of overused and I don't understand why people can get so obsessed with it. (laughs) Like we're in so many doors because if my product is in a C C store, um, I don't really care about that door. I don't, I want my product to be in A stores and some B stores. So, you know, if your product is in 800 doors, but in reality, your target audience is only shopping in 400 of those, you're really losing money on those 400 stores with, you know, placement and, you know, all the potential chargebacks and billbacks that you'll get with your product not selling. Right. So I think velocity is much more important than store count. Um, and when you are entering a new relationship with a distributor or a buyer, request that your product only be placed in A and B stores because if they roll out your product in every single one of your every single one of their stores and you know one third of them are not an appropriate fit then like i said you're just going to be losing money in those stores so 
you really have to have a meeting of the mind, so to speak, in you know where your product is getting placed. I also think that observational data is underused. And this is, I mean, I guess I, I think of it as data. I think um, what that means to me is going into the store. Does the store look busy? Is it clean? Where is the product place? What are the number of facings? Um, are there a lot of products on promotion? Are they rotating stock? So keeping track of all of that kind of data, I think, is really important. And that's when you'll have, you know, your broker team, merchandising team, sales team is really essential. This is, I, I'm already planning on, like, going back and <laughs> listening to this episode <laughs> and rewinding and taking notes because there's a lot of really valuable information here. Um, so, um Another thing that we know is really, you know, at the core of sales, aside from now marketing, understanding marketing, understanding data, you know, relationships are always at the core of what we do. And going all the way back to the beginning of our of our interview, talking about like the dairy industry and the cheese industry, you know, the people, the community being so much, um, you know, being central to, you know, why we why we love it, like, you know, and mm -hmm. um so this importance of of industry groups, um, the you know aside from like the social networking and and just the enjoyment of being in a place surrounded by you know people who are making really great food and um, doing it with passion, um, what value can industry groups add? What are what are some examples of industry groups that um, you think are are really valuable for? you know, for where our industry is headed. Yeah. Um, well, as you mentioned at the beginning, I'm involved with the California Artisan Cheese Guild and the Good Food Foundation, which I really enjoy. It's such an honor to um, work with those people. And the information and education provided by peer groups is like being in the best study group in high school or college. Remember when you like hit gold and you were like, oh my God, I'm with the smartest people and, and I'm with all the people that are organized and passionate about this subject. That's what it's like being in an industry group and you feel just so lucky to be surrounded by these people and exchanging information, learning best practices, um, learning industry norms, asking a lot of questions. Um, you can really avoid costly mistakes and misunderstandings in your industry. If you have people to lean on and that you're close with and you have a good relationship with that, you can do like a pulse check, like, oh, you know, this somebody is asking for this. Does that sound normal? So a lot of those kinds of conversations happen just kind of like housekeeping conversations. Um, it's also great for recruiting. I've actually, um, you know, been able to hear about job openings and think about, oh, you know, I know someone that would be a great fit for that job. So it's a great way to network when you're trying to recruit or, you know, let people know that you have a job opening. Um, so yeah, to every possible topic, trends, events, trade shows. I love the all the guilds around the country. You know, Vermont has a great one. Oregon, of course, Wisconsin and California. Um, practically every cheese making state has a great guild or uh, cheese group that I everyone should be a member of. The cost is so minimal. And 
even if you're an enthusiast and you just want to know about, you know, cheese events or tasting events. Um, but absolutely, if you're a cheese maker or a professional industry professional, you should join. And as far as the trade shows are concerned, of course, we have fancy food coming up, which I'm looking forward to, you know, that's, it's going to be a weird, once again, a weird year for that, but I'm looking forward to it. Expo West is great. If you have organic uh, dairy products, a lot of organic products are at that show. Um, of course, the Good Food Awards, Good Food Foundation <clears throat> has their great program, CMI, huge fan of CMI, just fun, knowledgeable, educational. If you're a um, host at CMI, please take advantage of the education. Um, it's generally included and it's really, really great quality. And then ACS um, in the summer, I believe it's in Portland this year. I can't wait. It's going to be like a high school reunion. <laughs> uh, so yeah, I love, I love it all. I mean, it's, that's, you know, like I said at the beginning, the reason why I fell in love with this industry is because of the people and we're really good um, at putting together great, fun, educational events. Yeah. And, and I do have to say some of us even form our own industry groups when yes. there isn't one, you just find some people you've met along the way. Um, and you know, it can be a, a, a conference call and just, how are you doing? What are you finding out there? Um, you know, it's, it's not hard to, um, to create one if there isn't one where you are. Um, also, a lot of them seem to be widening their digital uh, platforms as well. So even LinkedIn, I mean, I think there's a really active cheese community on LinkedIn, and there's a lot of um, going back to marketing and sales. There's a lot of resources, workshops online. Um, and yeah, it's uh, it's becoming more and more of a digital world in, uh, but you know, it always comes back to the cheese on, on, on your plate. So it's fun to see how the two are being bridged by this, uh, this digital, digital bridge. Um, I want to thank you so much for joining us today. This was really, you. really fascinating. I learned a lot. Um, even after years of being in, you know, in sales and in the cheese business, this is like, you know, it's always good to hear it, um, over and over. And then also, you know, pull out some new, nuggets of knowledge. So thank you for that. Yeah. And I, like you said at the beginning, this is a great reset. I see it as really new ways of learning how to do business. And um, I think we should all be open to that and be okay with it and look at it, you know, try to look at it as a positive and um, yeah, do just have fun. <laughs> yeah, it does seem that one of the, one of the things that um, we can take away from this conversation is making sure that in whatever our roles are um, in this industry is taking time to set ourselves up for success, create the tools, learn about the systems, figure out what the roles are, who's going to be taking on these responsibilities, do I need to source it out? Um, but, you know, being ready to take advantage of these different platforms to inform your sales. So, um, yeah. Yeah. So we'll just, yeah. we'll see everybody on online. We'll see everyone on Instagram. And, <laughs> um, 
all these other yeah things. yeah please connect with me and um I love I'll I'll talk to anybody and I you know I love I love talking shop at any yeah. point um thanks for having me Jessica this has been really fun and everyone can check you out at felicefoods.com correct absolutely awesome awesome well thank you everybody for listening and don't forget to uh, check us out on uh, Instagram and at heritageradionetwork.com. Um, you can always listen to past episodes and we have a really uh, great season ahead. So we look forward to having you back at Cutting the Curd. Thanks. Cutting the Curd is powered by Simplecast. Thanks for listening to Heritage Radio Network, food radio supported by you. For our freshest content, subscribe to our newsletter. Enter your email at the bottom of our website, heritageradionetwork.org. Connect with us on Instagram and Twitter at heritage underscore radio. You can also find us at facebook.com slash heritage radio network. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization driving conversations to make the world a better, fairer, more delicious place. And we couldn't do it without support from listeners like you. Want to be a part of the food world's most innovative community? Subscribe to the shows you like, tell your friends, and please join the HRN family by becoming a member. Just click on the beating heart at the top right of our homepage. Thanks for listening.